in the high desert in the great American Southwest. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM. John, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. You're with us. You're with us. You're with us. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show, Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Han Solo to your Luke Skywalker, except I didn't sell my soul to Disney. You did not, Chris, but you do have a podcast. and I'm not sure if there's much of a difference. Well, if we made money, maybe we could be talking about selling our soul. But right now, it's this is art, dude. We're creating art right now. We aren't creating art. You are right. And or we got uh, some art to create today, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, Chris, I have an episode for you. And this one is going real deep. Real deep. Real there. deep into the true story behind the Amityville Horror. The uh, Ryan Reynolds movie. Yes, the Ryan Reynolds movie. So we are going to be listening Mm. to Art Bell's interview with George Lutz from December 27th, 2002. George Lutz is who Ryan Reynolds portrayed in that film, which is very exciting. So this isn't like an E! True Hollywood story type deal, Paul. That's what you're trying to tell me. This is the actual tale of the Amityville Horror House. This is the actual tale of the man who says he lived through the Amityville Horror that the book was based on and that all the movies are based on. And then we're also going to be hearing from Art Bell's interview with Joel Martin on October 28th, 2015, where Joel disagrees with uh, George's portrayal of things. So we're going to really get to the truth of the Amityville Horror today. Is this guy as handsome as Ryan Reynolds or is this another one of those Hollywood make-believe stories. It is well, number one, he is nowhere near as handsome as Ryan Reynolds. Okay. I can so, tell you that right now. Already got a problem here. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if many people are Hollywood. They've never wanted the truth, Chris. They never have. But we are gonna find it tonight. Okay. But before we get to that, Tim time. We gotta go check in with the Coast to Coast AM blog with Tim Banal. Timmy. So today's episode, mischievous teen revealed to be the source of paranormal activity haunting an Indian woman. We've had now several from India, Paul. This is very interesting. A very supernatural, superstitious people. So many of these ghost stories are coming out of India, and I'm not certain why. I'm telling you, I think Tim has a Google search for ghosts or something, and he just gets every story Like, I would love to see where that local media report comes from that he gets this from. Yeah, it may be that the uh, Indian local media loves reporting on ghosts. That may just be a a big hit with the uh, the local population. Yeah, dude, it's probably like murders and stuff in the U.S. It could be. We love our murders. It's one of our favorites. In the U.S., it's if it bleeds, it leads. In India, it's if it goes boo, you put it on page two. That is right. So jumping into the article, after being tormented by eerie activity in her home for the past few months, a woman in India is breathing a sigh of relief as authorities determined that the strangeness has been caused by a teenage troublemaker rather than an unruly spirit. According to a local media report, the weird case began earlier this year when the victim, identified as Sujitha, purchased a new phone and began receiving peculiar messages on the device. Oh man. So we've actually seen a couple of movies and TV shows about the haunted cell phone before. We have gotten a couple. Most recently uh, we had a, uh, who was the singer that, that lost her phone because of ghosts. Uh, that was Lizzo. Paul. That was Lizzo. You are right. Yeah. Ghosts like messing with phones. Yeah, dude, they love phones, except we always find out that there was a person and not a ghost. That's the disappointing part. Yeah. So back to the story. The notes, she said, seemingly accurately predicted future events that would happen in her home, such as lights turning on and off, as well as other electronics being inexplicably disrupted. Inexplicable! It is inexplicable. That would be terrifying, though, if you got a text that said your lights are about to turn off and then your lights turned off. Uh, 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 Dude, I... I don't, I don't even know what would happen to me, dude. I'm freaking out just thinking about that. 
the call is definitely coming from inside the house. Inside the house, dude. <laughs> now, the woman understandably grew increasingly agitated at these, as these digital premonitions appeared on her phone over the next several months, and she eventually began to entertain some rather fantastic theories for what might be behind them. Specifically, she postulated that perhaps the activity could be paranormal in nature or that she had become trapped in some sort of electronic simulation gone awry. Dude, this is the long con. Keeping up this prank for months is an insane thing to do. It's wild. This person was basically convincing this poor lady that she had schizophrenia all dust. Like, <laughs> she's, like she started thinking that she was in a simulation. That is an unhealthy place for your brain to go. Was was the person doing it try to trying to get her to move? <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. All right. So uh, eventually, Sajitha settled upon a human suspect in the case, reporting to the police that her estranged husband had somehow been controlling no all of the devices in the residence. Way. It was the husband. Well, we're not done yet. Oh my lord! This this story is full of plot twists, Chris. Full of plot twists. When the authorities looked into the case, they soon found that Sajitha's accusation against her former partner was unfounded, though not altogether incorrect as far as what could be behind the unsettling activity. Cops investigating the matter quickly zeroed in on a boy who lived near the woman, and upon being questioned, the youngster confessed to being the culprit. It was just this random boy? It was just a random boy doing this to her. Just for... (laughs) He's just sitting there having a blast terrifying this lady for months that's sadistic it's mess this kid's gonna be a serial killer dude that's actually (laughs) sadistic if it was a you know a day or two prank that's one thing but this went on way too long like months don't go to india man they're on some ancient like what is it like blood that's like a blood libel or something. You know what I mean? That's crazy. That's what blood libel means. Oh. <laughs> but I would say don't be around children. So when asked why he had been harassing Sajitha, the 14-year-old offered some a sort of sullen answer one might expect from a teenager, telling the police, quote, he just felt like it. <laughs> yeah. Authorities- I don't know. It just seemed like it would be a cool thing to do. He just felt like authorities later discovered that he had managed to pull off the haunting by way of ghostly pranks that he had learned from watching YouTube. Yeah, dude, always, always YouTube's fault. It is. Don't let your children close to the internet is what we are learning from all these articles. How to haunt old ladies.com dude is what this kid was looking at. Dude, all we did when we were kids was like ding dong ditch. And I'm going to be honest, I maybe ding-dong ditched like three times in my life, and it was always like friends' houses. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like rando houses. It was always, yeah, it was always the buddy whose dad you hated or something like that, or a girl that you liked. It was never like, uh, yeah, you weren't harassing people. This is mm-hmm. the craziest thing to do this for months on end. That is effort. That is so much effort. I. I mean, that just sounds exhausting to me, honestly, to keep that up. Paul, growing up in high school, quick story, because this is this is pretty sadistic as well. We had a friend in high school who we'll just we'll say his name's Dylan. Dylan wrote in a journal every single day what another friend, we'll say his name's Evan, wore to class every single day like top bottom shoes if you could see it socks if there was like if he was wearing glasses if he wasn't wearing glasses every day for months and then presented it to him <laughs> that's, that's terrifying. sadistic man that's that's sadistic. unsettling that would be so unsettling <laughs> that would be terrifying and it's just months worth every single day like just exactly what he's wearing he was freaked out dude he was freaked out he even like started like weeks where he like wore the same shirt or (laughs) wore the same pants or something like that and so you could like he was like tracking him dude it was crazy that is utter madness yeah 
Wow. We're going to have to talk about that afterwards. I did not know that that happened. You never shared that story with me. <laughs> so anyways, so that just, it just made me think about it. Cause that's just pure, that's just being a sadistic person. And it is like you said, dude, it messes with you a little bit. It does. And so it's like a logical game at that point. It, it really is, man. And you know what else messes with you, Chris? What? housekeeping uh first off we have an email address send your thoughts and episode requests to c to cpm pod at gmail.com that is with the number two it will be in the show notes if you want to find it if you like the show drop us five stars on apple podcasts or spotify and smash that subscribe button we drop every thursday and that'll make sure you never miss an episode lastly thanks to everyone who has told friends about us we don't advertise or go on other podcasts. This is 100% organic growth. So please keep it up. We really appreciate you. Artisanal podcast, baby. Yes, it is. Well, let's get to the show, Chris. The Amityville Horror, starting with George Lutz's 2002 interview with Art Bell. And, the- and let me make sure I'm clear about this. There is no Ryan Reynolds in this podcast. We do not have Ryan Reynolds yet. Okay. We we have some feelers out to his people. We'll see what happens. Maybe next year. Maybe, Maybe next, next year. year. His people are talking to our people. Exactly. Our Perfect. people being c2cpmpod at gmail.com. Perfect. All right. So, Chris, this whole story, it starts with a really sick deal on a pretty sweet house. All right. So you went to look at the house at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville. Uh, all of you, I presume, or just you and Kathy? No, all of us. All, even the children, huh? Yes, and we had a criteria that was we were trying to find a uh, home on the water because I had a boat then that um, right. wasn't trailerable, really. I presume you knew uh, about the DeVeo massacre that uh, six people had been murdered in that house. I mean, that's a very serious thing to have occurred. Six we didn't people. know this when we first went to see the house. We knew it after the realtor told us after we toured the house. It was a pretty good price, right? Uh, the the market it had been on the market for I believe a hundred thousand or so, and uh, by then it had been reduced, if I remember correctly, to ninety. We made an offer of eighty, and they accepted it. Really? Uh, what what do you think, uh, George? What do you think market value was for that house then? Real market value? Well, it was the house was four thousand feet. It had a, a boathouse that would take a, in easily a thirty-six foot boat at the time. It had a two-car garage attached to that, a heated pool, a full basement. Uh, my guess would be then realistically 125000 would have been not un- yeah. unheard of. Paul, would you live in a murder house? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, man. That house is, sounds pretty awesome. It sounds dope, dude. It is a huge house on the water, big boathouse i mean this sounds like a baller place and and here's the thing so george lutz had just gotten married to kathy and kathy had three kids right they both had their own houses uh they were about um i believe it was about forty thousand dollars each was what they sold those two houses for and then they were trying to buy uh you know forever house for the whole family together uh so it it was in budget george loves his boat he brings up his boat a weird amount on this podcast or sorry on, on this episode and i was like you know Couple people got murdered there. It might be worth it. Might be worth it, dude. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I don't know, dude. I don't know. This is where I I think my superstition would come into play. I I don't know if superstition or cheapskate is is going to outweigh here, but I think I'm going to give it to superstition, dude. I think I would pay not to live in a murder house. You know, I was I was actually listening uh, to another podcast recently, and some houses like Amityville actually appreciate higher because of what's happened. Interesting. So it's uh, well, it's like our um, the guy who owns the Hinsdale house. Yep, very much. Right, like you just it becomes an attraction. Yeah, no one else would be spending four hundred dollars a night to stay in the Hinsdale house unless it was haunted. You know. Oh, man, dude. Maybe we need to start looking for haunted houses. I think it would be a good investment. Haunted House Brothers, dude. We could have a TLC show. We could. We flip haunted houses. We flip haunted houses, dude. We're going to teach you how to make a haunted house Airbnb, dude, and it's going (laughs) to be hot. So, Chris, he mentioned the DeFeo murders. Are you familiar with the DeFeo family massacre? Oh, 
No, dude, it sounds awful. I don't know if I want to know about it. Oh, we're going to get into it. So on November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo walked into Henry's Bar at 6 p.m. in Amityville, Long Island, and yelled out, you got to help me. I think my mother and my father are shot. So he gathered a group of friends and took them to the house on Ocean Avenue where he lived with his two parents, his two brothers, and his two sisters. It was then when all six members of the family were found dead, face down in their beds, and shot with a 35 caliber Marlin rifle. It was determined their death was around 3 a.m. that day while they slept. Butch originally told police that the killings had been carried out by a mob hitman, which actually was not totally wild because the family did have mob connections. But within oh 20, <laughs> yeah, but within 24 hours uh, of being in police custody, Butch confessed to murdering his entire family, stating, what the heck? "Yeah, he said once I started." I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Dude, so this guy was just like mentally ill or something. This guy was just crazy. I, I believe from looking snapped. into the family, the family was like a bit abusive in, in a lot of ways. It wasn't like a very healthy situation, but naturally he is just a, he's a crazy person. Yeah, dude. I, I When I think mob, I don't think um, safe family life. That's very true. Healthy mental state. So a year after this happened was when the Lutzes toured the house in Amityville and fell in love with it. So the following December was when the Lutzes had moved in in 1975. So this is the time frame that George is discussing with Art now. So next up, Art asks, how did they tell you about these murders, right? Like what was what was the vibe, right, when, when you first heard about this? When did you find out six people had been murdered there? Uh, after she showed it to us, and it was obvious that Kathy had fallen in love with it, and I liked it very much, uh, she said, I don't know if I should have told you this before I showed it to you or after, but this is the house the DeFeos were murdered in. And we kind of looked at her like, what do you mean? And then she reminded us of the news stories that had been a year earlier and the trial that was just, I guess, in the process of starting or was going on. LOL, dude. No realtor is ever going to tell you it's murder house first. <laughs> you got to fall in love with it. You got to fall in love with it. And then you say, oh, by the way, this is murder house. That's true, because if, if they led with that, no one would go in. Yeah, you wouldn't go. You would We're never not. go. If you start with, well, the next one up is a murder house. Okay, well, what's the one after that? A whole family was slaughtered here. Let's go check it out. Oh, dude, that's a bad one, too. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not just someone died. If someone just dies in a house, it's one of those things like, okay, whatever. You know, it was like an elderly person or someone had a heart attack. But when an entire family is murdered, I think that now that I think about it, that would make me question whether or not I would want to live there. That's what I'm saying, dude. I'm all right. I'm all right if person passed peacefully into the night in this house. I want to live in that house. Yeah. That's the house I want to live in. I don't want to live in the house was family brutally murdered massacre house, dude. This if you have massacre in the title of your family, I don't want to live in your home. And I so here's the thing, man. I want to believe in ghosts. I don't know if ghosts are real. I don't know if I want to test it that much. Yeah, dude. That's that's a ghost house. That's a big test. That's a ghost house, dude. That well, forever always like ghost house. And the interesting thing, too, so he, he discusses how they all sat down and talked about it and said, hey, listen, we really like this house. We've gone back a couple of times. We love it. He even took his boat out because it was like right on a channel and they were like viewing it from the channel and stuff like that. And they talked as a family and said, hey, would, are we going to be uncomfortable living in this house? And they had a, a nine year old daughter, a seven year old son and a five year old daughter. And apparently all of them said it was cool. You can't understand at that age. It's not even worth telling them. I don't, as an, I think the nine-year-old maybe would be like, that sounds like bad vibes. Yeah. But I, I'd be curious, like, hey, five-year-olds, the whole family was slaughtered here. Do you want to, do you want to yeah, take that what, room? Yeah. I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation, dude. Like trying to tell your kids a whole family was brutally murdered by a brother there. Dude, no, I don't think so. I don't think they gave all the stories. I'm sure they were like, some people died here. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think he's full of crap on this one, man. Yeah. So, you know, you're moving into a murder house, though. What's the murder first house. thing you're What's the first thing you're going to do, right? 
uh, sage the house. Exactly. You call your priest and you have him go bless the house. Make sure it's nice and clean. Mm-hmm. So he art brings up a, a pretty famous priest in this story. His name's Father Ralph Pecorero. And uh, he asks him kind of like Pecorero. Yeah, fun name. So Art asks, you know, hey, what was up with this priest? Like, how'd you get him there? Like, what was he doing uh in in the Amityville house when you were moving? And so I called Father Ray and asked him if he would do it. And he said, Yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. All right. So, so it was coordinated that he would come in the day that we actually had the closing that afternoon. Gotcha. So we were moving in when he showed up to do that. So there he is going into the house, and I waved. I was in the back of the truck unloading the U-Haul, and he went on in, found Kathy, and went about blessing the house. Which means what? You go to room, from room to room, that kind of thing? Yes, he went room to room, said prayers in each room. Um, he was a bit uncomfortable in the upstairs back bedroom. He stopped and just said, he asked us what we were going to use one bedroom floor, which was on the second floor in the back, and the, the second he told you not to use the second floor sewing room at all, or, or as a bedroom, or what? We, we, Kathy explained she was going to use it as a sewing room, and that he said was fine. He just there was something about the room that made him uncomfortable, and he and he he managed to communicate that to us without any alarm or anything. So this th room right here, this room, I do not like this room. Do not make this room a bedroom. So that was here, my recreation of that scene, Paul. That's very fair. And here's the even crazier thing. So in the Amityville Horror book, which is based on George Lutz's retelling of what had happened in the house, apparently later, uh, Father Ralph admits to him that while in the house, he heard a voice saying, get out in his ears. <laughs> and that night, he claims that he got a high fever and blisters on his hands similar to stigmata. Oh, wow, dude. You bringing the stigmata into this, man? Is this our first time we've talked about stigmata? We haven't covered stigmata once, I don't think. This is this is first. Wow, dude. Yeah. This is a this is a coast to coast PM first. Everyone jot it down. Take a drink if you're drinking along with us. Breaking new grounds. So they move in, right? They they've had the blessed house. They're feeling pretty good. You know, you get a priest to come in, make it clean. You're you're good to go. But obviously, bad things happened. So I with dude, I want to hear Malachi Martin being like. You, 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 you lose your soul a little bit every time. <laughs> Malachi Martin did say that this was one of the most evil places he had ever been to. He came to it. A, a he came? Point. Yeah. Malachi he came, came to the house? Yeah. Oh, dude, this is sacred ground. It is. So within 28 days of moving in, the Lutz family flees the house in terror. How many so, days? 28 days. 28 days. They made it. They, they didn't even make it a full month. They didn't make it a full month. Maybe February. Yes, if it, made, yeah, if it was they, a, a February they, without the leap year. Yeah, they made it. They made it. They made it one month. So naturally, what what happened in those twenty eight days that made you flee the house? What was going on? Oh, it's got to be terrifying, dude. Oh my god, I'm on the edge of my seat. I mean, what began to happen in that house, George? By the by, the last week we were there, it was nightly occurrences of noises the things like odors coming and going or kathy being touched from behind by some unseen person uh, or missy talking to herself and and asking questions like jody tell, telling us about her imaginary friend that wasn't so imaginary it turns out yeah she claimed to have an imaginary friend right yes and she would come and ask Kathy questions like, do angels talk? And really, Jody is the name of the angel, and she, Jody is telling Missy that they're, we're going to live there forever. Dude, that's, that's actually something I'm super terrified of. If my kid has an imaginary friend, my immediate thought is going to be, this is a fucking ghost. I don't want to have children because of events like this. This is a ghost, and I... I'm I, I don't know what I'm going to do dude. I'm probably going to go to the priest man I'm probably going to be like you know maybe just in case let's bless the place but it sounded like it didn't work did not do it much, sounded like apparently. it didn't work they're they're hearing things they're seeing things they're they're feeling people touch them at night those are all very oh, very bad occurrences that's not like what you want that, dude. don't like yeah. any of that are we going to find out more about this imaginary friend 
Not a ton. He doesn't discuss okay. it much on on this episode with Art. There was uh, you know, red eyes that they were seeing outside of a window and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but not a ton about the imaginary friend. But we do have some more of the horror stories, Chris. Oh God. Okay, here we go. The the last night we were in the house was the was the re- was the reason not to stay there anymore. The that night, uh, Kathy had levitated and moved away across away from me on the bed. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Slow up right there. Sure. Kathy levitated. Yes. Now you were both in bed. Yes. Kathy was asleep. She was asleep. And she lifted up off the bed and went towards the wall away from me. Uh, this, is, this is after she had turned into an an old crone, a, a really ugly old woman that literally took hours and hours for it to go away. In front of your face? Yes. And then later she did that again at her mom's house after we moved out of the house and moved in with her mom. Dang, dude. Levitating? Levitating that's, and morphing into an old woman in front of him. Yeah, that's now that's also super terrifying, dude. Especially because it wasn't just for a brief moment or like a glimpse or something like that. It was sh- like for hours yeah, she was dude. presenting as an, an old crone, he says. Well, like we're talking, dude, they're sucking the soul out of her, right? You know what it reminded me of was The Shining. Right. You know, when he goes up to like the really hot woman in the bathroom and then she turns into a decrepit old woman covered in like leeches or whatever. Right. Yeah. You got the shine, boy. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. The yeah. other creepy thing that he brings up is that everyone in the family started sleeping on their stomachs, which was something that they had not done previously. Oh, man, dude, I'm a stomach sleeper. So is this evil? It is evil, according to him, because it is how all of the family members of the DeFeos were found killed. They were all asleep on their stomachs. Oh, I'm sleeping on my back from now on. The only person that couldn't sleep on his back was George. Oh, my Lord. Now, and George doesn't say this outright because he always says the last night in the house was so terrifying. I don't want to talk about it. But he seems to allude to the fact that the demon spirits in the house were driving him to kill his family. Oh my God, dude. He doesn't say it outright, but he's constantly alluding to it. And it's like, I know what you're alluding here, man. I know what you're alluding. Do we have that? Do you have (laughs) the illusion? We'll have that in a bit. Uh, But first we got to get into the movies versus what actually happened. Uh, And this is actually, I'm going to, I'm going to admit I'm, I've never seen the movies. You haven't seen the movies. I've never seen the movie. So this is all we're breaking brand new ground for me right now. I, I, I wasn't exactly sure what Amityville horror was all about. Oh, I know. There have been 27 movies based on Amityville, Chris. Right. I haven't seen one of them. You missed all 27. Yeah. I haven't seen one. I've seen at least six, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess I need to watch it now because uh, so it's all going to be news to me was all I was saying. No, that's great. And, and here's the thing. So there's a couple layers here. Number one, we have George Lutz's story about what happened in 75. And then we have the J. Uh, Anson book that was published in 1977 called The Amityville Horror. And that's where most of the story comes from is Jay Anson uh, took the interviews of George and his wife, put it into a book. And then we had all of the movies that were made based on the book. Okay. So specifically, Art's asking, hey, what what was dramatized in the movies? Because Art hadn't read the books. Like, what isn't real about the experience that you had? Mm-hmm. The movie, of course, dramatized the ooze out of the walls and uh, uh, the flies and all, all the rest of that. Well, uh, the flies were real. The flies were... Tell me about that. The flies were... This is the wintertime, and the back bedroom, that one sewing room, had flies from the day we moved in and they became more and more and more and they were there when the investigators went in uh, just on the back window and they that's the same window that mary saw the i guess you'd call it an apparition or a person from the, looking up at it um flies were always there they were always didn't go away so that that part was real not the oozing out of the walls not the oozing out but of the walls. That, that was, it, it's one of those things that, in fact, is, is sometimes, in my mind at least, stranger than, than fiction. What really happened that I think they tried to draw that from 
what really happened in the house was that there were keyholes, old old style doors. This is the house was built in the 30s and it had old style keyholes. I remember and them, yes. They had we had drips that got longer and longer. They were black. They were almost like an epoxy. And the longer we were in the house, the longer the drips came out of certain keyholes in the oh. second and third floor. Oh, so there was some basis in truth. Yes, but not the oozing out of the walls. Not the oozing, but right. but something. All right, Paul. So let's let's put a, let's take the tinfoil hat off. Mm-hmm. What is going on in this house? So here's the thing. Number one, what what he is saying is actually inaccurate. So George says that he doesn't know where they got the green ooze stuff from, and. Okay. I know exactly where they got the green green news stuff from. It's from the book that he says is is true. So in the really? book, yeah, in the book, the Amityville Horror, Jay Anson wrote that green black slime was oozing up the st- the staircase towards them on their last night in the house. This book is supposed to be based on their direct experiences. George has apparently forgotten what was written in the book, so he's kind of losing his story at this point in two thousand two, oh, and claiming it was no. just black trips on the wall. Oh, no. So this is the start when, you know, it kind of starts coming down a little bit. And we're going to get into more uh-huh. why George Lutz is totally full of shit and none of this actually happens. Oh, my gosh. So to answer your question, Chris, I don't think any of this actually happened in the house. You don't think any of this happened? We'll, we'll get to what what potentially may have happened, but none of the stories he said so far do do I think actually occurred between He's the levitating right now. Yeah, he's just a, it's a pure swindle. It's definitely a swindle. He's just, he's weaving a tail, you know, and and made some money off the story and got Mm -hmm. some fame off it. Okay. So here is the illusion clip that I mentioned earlier, where he doesn't say he was going to kill his family, but it feels like he's saying he was going to kill his family. Okay, let's do it. Uh, Was there ever a time when you found your mind drifting to an awful place where you were perhaps being urged to or considered doing evil yourself, George? It's not a question I've ever answered in public. Really? Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I'll answer you this straight out, okay, but what I will tell you is this. The, the tool we mentioned of humor? Yes. I told Father Ray many of the things that went on for us and he was the one that told me about humor that evil can't stand it it can't be in the presence of it it has no understanding of humor it can't relate to it i had to learn the 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 mental ability if you will to to be able to think of something humorous when i would get a thought that i didn't like so you did answer it you did get them I'm just, I can't get over this now, dude. Why would you make this up? We'll get into it, man. We'll get into it. Okay. All right. So, okay. So humor, dude. Yeah. Because Catholics are known for being so funny. And this is also the first time that I have ever heard anyone say that about demons and evil spirits, that if you make a joke or laugh, they're going to be scared away. That yeah. that sounds like nonsense. Yeah, dude. Everyone knows you got to ring bells. Exactly. You know, I just I feel like Father Malachi Martin would have been brought up like cracking jokes, right? If that that's, was a part dude, of the. That's Lord. why this priest over here, dude, it doesn't doesn't know what he's talking about, man. And that's why it didn't work, man. You got to get yourself a good pure exorcist that's what malachi always says find a good priest yeah find a good priest this this guy does not sound like he was a good priest weak priest for sure dude very weak very very weak okay keep going all right so art asks one more time what happened that last night like tell us about the last night that you never tell anyone about you always refuse to talk about in public the final night that you spent in that house, you've never talked about. You've always refused to talk about the last night in the house. Why? What happens, Art, is when you do that, the the worst of it comes back. It doesn't. It, it's not like it disappeared. It's not like I can detach myself and from it and just talk about it like what I did yesterday. Um, you feel it. 
not all of it, thank God, but it comes back and it's not a pleasant experience. I was laying there in that in, in bed. Kathy levitated and I had to grab her to keep her from going off the bed. There, there is no question in your mind, George. You weren't dreaming this. You weren't asleep. You're, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, it's an obvious question. question. Yes. Yeah. No, there's no question. We were so very pleased three years later to have Chris Gugas come along and give us a polygraph test, each of us, in his office with Michael Rice. I was not aware that had been done. So we just got everyone flying all over the place. So wait a minute, Paul. Is this guy making money every single time a movie's made? He, uh, he is not, no. And that's kind of the funny okay. part about this, is that he seems to have gotten a really bad deal on the book because he oh, didn't make that much money no. off this. <laughs> so, Oh, what a jabron. Dude, he's a, such a turkey. Yeah, the Lutzes only made about $300,000 off of the story in total. What and, a dingleberry. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jay Anson, the author of the Amityville Horror, is now a millionaire because of it. I bet he is, dude. Mm. Oh, yeah. my gosh. He's making cash money every single time they make one of these dumb movies. Yeah. And George Lutz has since passed away, but he did not keep making money off this. Uh, he did do a few, like, History Channel uh, documentaries and things like that. Right. But he, he was not really pulling in the heavy cash flow. Probably gave talks and stuff. Yeah. What a jabroni, dude. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Really? I just, dude, you, you're... I'm stuck on this now, dude. I'm like, I'm like the coast to coast AM callers when they can start talking to the guest. You know, I'm just like stuck on this guy just being a turkey, tr making up a story about it. like what? Why? Why would you do? Why is the wife fit on it? That's a great question, man. That is a great question. Can't even make money off of it. What a dingleberry. Yeah, I mean, they could have made a lot more money. They just did a really bad job at it. What a jabroni! Yeah. A turkey, dude. <laughs> so, another creepy thing that happened, and this one kind of freaked me out, dude, is that a window slammed shut on his son's hands. This is kind of a scary Ooh. story. Ooh. My son Danny's hands were caught in the window in the sewing room, and they were flattened. His hands were, were down. Oh my God. And the window had flattened the hands, and immediate reaction is we got to go to the hospital, and we start to go get ready to go. And, and what happened? This uh, this window of its uh, parent own accord came slamming down on his hands. Yes, and it just didn't just slam down. Was was mushed in such a way that his hands were actually deformed. They were flat. Oh. So we get ready to go to the hospital, and then um, and he's screaming. Yeah, and everybody's running around getting their coats and getting him downstairs and trying to calm him down. It was pretty much impossible. And you go to leave and look at his hands and he's fine. What? Man, so they're just like, I got to get back into like believing this mode. <laughs> I shouldn't have ruined it for you so quickly. You, you, you quick. <laughs> but that as just a standalone scary story. That yeah. is pretty freaky. Like if, you know, your hands are smashed and broken and then you look back down at them, then they're actually fine. Um, that's pretty trippy, man. Well, you know, I, I'm just kind of like, all right, let's we're getting back into this mode of we're believing Amityville horror. This guy's actually getting haunted demons in the house, other dimensions. All right. I'm back in the game. All right. All right. So previously, he also mentioned that he took a polygraph test and passed, which is true. He so did take a we so we have evidence of that we do have evidence of the polygraph it was taken uh for the movie that was coming out so we somewhat he did somewhat believe this is happening maybe let's let's listen to it okay about okay. the polygraph experience okay you have to agree to the questions um they have to run a baseline they do a physiological workup to to, to get within that baseline so that they can get the real responses yes um, one of the questions was, did Kathy turn into an old woman? And you, you answered them all and yeah. uh, went sailing past the polygraph. Absolutely. Uh, later, those, those findings were published in the uh, National Star, of all things. 
<laughs> it was it was one of those things where the movie company was getting ready to release the movie, and they wanted to do uh-huh. this, and these are expensive tests. And oh, I'm well aware. They were willing to pay for it, and we said, get us the best there is, and we'll do it. Otherwise, we're not interested in doing it with someone that just got out of school. All right. You get five questions. They have to be yes or no. So here's my issue with this, mm-hmm. is that they did a polygraph. They agreed to the questions beforehand. Ah, and they were only allowed to ask five questions. So you can kind of like break the machine then. A hundred percent. Like the whole thing about polygraph, polygraph isn't analyzing whether you're lying. It's testing whether you're nervous. It's like blood pressure. It's like movement. It's like, you know, sweat, things like that. Your pulse. It has nothing to do with whether you're lying. It's about being nervous. If you know what's going to happen you know who's going to do it you know what the questions are beforehand i fully believe that you can cheat stuff like that and not only do i believe that i know it people cheat polygraph all the time that's why you can't use in court anymore oh dude i bet it only takes 10 to 15 times of like somebody asking you a question and you answering it for you to be like oh i can just answer this question easily now you just have to not respond uh, right. in terms of like your body, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of meditation techniques are actually the same things that they teach people uh, at like Quantico to right. to cheat polygraph tests. It's like deep breathing. Like if you clench mm-hmm. certain muscles, it actually lowers your blood pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not really buying this polygraph. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, this guy, this guy's kind of a Barnum and Bailey type, huh? Mm-hmm. Just now, not as successful. An interesting thing as well, and we don't have a clip of this, but the Warrens, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, the very famous paranormal researchers were involved in this case. Of course, and they're coming in here, dude. They got to come in here, dude. They're vultures. They got to do it. And they mentioned in multiple interviews all of the extensive polygraph testing that was done with the Lutzes, which proves that it was real. There was oh, not I extensive bet polygraph Lorraine testing. loved done. it, dude. But that was the thing is that they were they were essentially making that up. Um, right. this is the only polygraph that they did and it was right. five questions. Well, it was time. just one. And then Lorraine can say they did 15 polygraph tests. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, they did one. So why can't they have done 15? Yeah. So let's get to the Warrens because they did bring the Warrens in to, uh, to do some work on the house. Cause I mean, who are you going to call dude? You got to call Ed and Lorraine. Dude, these are some turkeys, man. Yeah. And if you're unfamiliar with Ed and Lorraine Warren, they are who the entire Conjuring series of movies are based off. When Laura DeDeo found the Warrens and got them to come down, she had wanted to get Hans Holzer to come, and he was busy. I met with them, gave them the key, but I would not go in the house. Yeah, I heard that. that you the idea was to get the house fixed. When they, t- when they tell me the house is fixed, then I'll you know, go back, but not until... And when Ed Warren said this is, and he wanted, you know, then they went in, Ed and Lorraine and, and Laura Dale went in the house, and Ed said he wanted to put more people together and come back with a team. And we invited in the people from Duke University, from the Psychical Research Institute there. Well, they came in with the team, and they all met, and, gave, you know, they still had the key. And it was like, okay, go do what you're going to do. And when Ed came back afterwards and said, I'm not going back, I I can't do this, and you're going to have to get a, an exorcist to come in and exercise the house. He's going to have to say mass in the house, mm-hmm. and basically he'll be putting his life on the line to do it. Uh, how do you go and ask someone to do that for a house? This is a dark house. You're going <laughs> to have to get a real exorcist. That's my uh, Lorraine Warren impression. And here's the thing that he didn't really get into is that Ed and Lorraine Warren did a televised seance inside of the Amityville house. Yeah, of course they did, dude. Of course they did. So I just have a hard time seeing Ed Warren going to this house and being like, this is so evil that I can't be in here. But then also saying, let's get an entire TV crew right. and do a seance and try and actually pull these spirits out. Right. Those, right, those two course. things do not mesh. Yeah. And you know that they already had the TV crew planned when they were going to the house at the very start. Oh, they definitely did. Like, it was immediate. The crew was already there on premises when they arrived at the house. Honestly, Ed and Lorraine Warren being somewhere makes me immediately not believe it. Right, exactly. It's like, oh, you called, like, the Swindler Stampers to, like, say this is definitely a swindle 
the biggest grift of all time. Well, that was the story of George Lutz's interview, Chris. Okay. So next up, we got to do a little bit of debunking, if you will. All right. Debunking. So this was 13 years later. Art actually left the air. He left coast to coast. Uh, He went overseas, and then he moved back to the States and started a show called Midnight in the Desert. And in 2015, which the show was only on for like nine months, uh, he interviewed Joel Martin, who was a former disc jockey in Amityville. No way! Yeah. Who... What an insane find by art. Total wild, totally wild. Uh, this guy also has a book all about ghosts, so I will say that Joel Martin is also a crank. I'm just going to okay. lead with that. He's definitely a crank. Yeah, definitely. So let's not take his 100% word at all this. Huh? Yeah, everything with a grain of salt that you're hearing from either George or Joel, honestly. But we'll George get into some of the Joel, facts dude. as they actually What is this, 1980s rock pop? got him so jumping into the 2015 episode i had the opportunity uh before his passing to uh interview george lutz about what went on at that house and i am now to uh have learned or i guess i'm about to learn and you're about to learn that um the amityville horror was a hoax a hoax say it ain't so art a hoax well here's the thing about art whenever something was shown to be a hoax he would do follow-ups and talk about how it was all bullshit right so he did this a couple times one of the big ones was hail bop uh which we will do a story on at some point uh where he said or he didn't say but he had someone that's actually been requested right it has been requested we're gonna get to it okay but that's where there was uh, allegedly a UFO behind Hale Bop that he reported on for a while. Right. It, I don't know if you know this, but there there wasn't. Um, <laughs> we, there that was no we way. know of, Paul. <laughs> that we know of. There could have been, I guess. I don't know. That we know of. So this guy, Joel, he's a DJ, right? And his okay. buddy calls him up and is like, yo, this Amityville thing is pretty suspicious, man. Ooh. Something smells real fishy to me, Paul. And I get a call from Stephen Kaplan, who you, you may remember was a vampirologist and a parapsychologist. Mm-hmm. He too passed away. And Steve said, Martin, uh, Martin, I need to do a show about an unhaunted house. Yeah, that makes no sense. He said, no, this is different. This house purports to be haunted, but it isn't. It's a fake I said, how the heck do you know that so quickly? He said, I'll tell you if you let me come on the air. I said, all right, come on the air. Show's over to everybody. What the heck? He didn't tell you what it was? He said, something's fishy. I called them, and I offered my services as a parapsychologist to see exactly what was in that house. And they told me, uh, well, we'll get back to you. What in the hell is a parapsychologist? A parapsychologist is someone who studies the paranormal. (laughs) <laughs> that's what they call themselves that's what they call themselves it's it's a science psychologist it's a sciencey way of saying that you say the paranormal i'm surprised Get you didn't grab on here you didn't grab onto the vampirologist i dude i i was like just taken <laughs> aback by parapsychologists that i was is this trying to do esp on people to make them feel better no, he, he studies the paranormal. He's also a vampirologist, which is, is a real thing. It's people who study those who think they're vampires. So it's like okay. people who drink blood. Uh, I guess. So it's like ethnographers for people who think they are vampires. Yeah, it's not that vampires are real and I'm like going all, uh, you know, Dracula and like stabbing them in the heart. It's like there are people who do drink blood. And, you know, analyzing those folks. And it's like a weird subculture or something. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So this guy, okay. Stephen Kaplan, you know, called him up. They did a big interview on the air where he weaves a tale that includes Butch DeFeo's lawyer, who was the the man who was convicted of killing his entire family, who met with George Lutz and his wife. To The lawyer met with the family who bought Murder House. Yep. What? Why would that meeting ever need to happen? Uh, to make a hoax, Chris. <laughs> That's why you would need to do that. 
because Ronnie DeFeo's attorney, Bill Weber, William Weber, William Weber and George Lutz created this fantasy, and Bill Weber admitted it. It was not a secret once Bill Weber went on the radio with me, and it was not a secret once Bill Weber talked to a, a reporter named Pat Milton at the Associated Press. What did Weber, was, what, what specifically did he say? Weber said that the first thought that he had was to plead insanity. I mean, what, what do you say about uh, a 22-year-old who, or I think he was 22 or 23, who kills his entire family? But then they got a better idea. The heck with that. That wasn't going to work. And they, they, it's almost impossible in New York State to get an insanity plea through. Very, very hard. In any event, they decided they had a better idea. And the better idea was to say that the place was haunted and Ronnie was possessed, etc. And so they created a hoax. They sat down over several bottles of champagne or wine. They sat down with their alcohol, and they started to create a story. Wow, dude. Got the lawyer to help create this wild fabrication. Yeah, they just sat down. They got drunk. And what was happening was the lawyer had all of the details about the crimes, right? right? He had all the crime scene photos. He had the whole story. So what he started to do was to share the information with them. And then they started weaving it into their own narrative. Where right. he's like, And then they could take little like weird things that happened around the house or happened mm -hmm. in the murders and then be like, well, this was kind of like in the murder. You know, everyone started sleeping on their stomachs the way they were found. What a creepy thing to do. Yeah. And you got to remember, what this is... What a creepy, weird thing to do. Dude, you kind of mashed up our 10 time <laughs> with the Amityville story. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. It's just like, this is a sadistic thing to do. Yeah, it's just something that an insane person would go through. Because... And, and that's why you need a lawyer to help you with this, because yeah. they're the only people who are sick enough to, like make sure you don't get caught and in trouble for doing this. And this was 1975, so they didn't have access to information like we do today. Right. So they needed someone that was involved with the case in order to make right. a story like this. And then it's also said that they were in, a, in some financial trouble. They couldn't actually afford the house they bought. The Lutz's business wasn't doing that well. So they're trying to get out from under the house. And this was a way of doing that while also right. potentially making some money on a story at the same time. Right. Not that much. What a joker, dude. Not enough. What an absolute joker. All right. So what else do we got here? All right. So what uh, Joel then goes through is a couple examples of the hoaxes. But here they were sitting, and they remembered that Ronnie always complained about the neighbor's cat. And because the neighbor's cat annoyed him, I'll, I'll clean up the language, Ronnie always called him that blankety-blankety demon cat or demon pig. And so with an expletive attached, he would refer to it as the demon pig. It was really a cat. The business of the uh, the walls oozing black. Well, when you washed the walls after the police were there, the fingerprint powder, they did not have DNA in those years. The fingerprint powder just came right off of that ooze became uh, a kind of a goo or a liquid from what was at one time powder. When they talked about a room oozing blood, I went in that room, and I took my daughter in that room. She was just a little girl at the time. She was maybe 10 at the time. And we went in that room, and it was a crawl space under the stairs that uh, went down to the basement, to the uh, rec room basement. And uh, it was the paint that was chipping. So the paint that was chipping became a red room oozing blood. There was no blood. I even took a couple of chips of the paint. They just completely made it all up. Made everything up. They just took little truths and like mm -hmm. stretched the details. So paint that was chipping turned into blood oozing down the walls. Yeah. They had inspiration from the house. You can say that. Right. Yeah. This it, is like Hollywood saying based on a true story. Exactly. And here's the thing. <laughs> the guy that told Joel all of this was Stephen Kaplan, okay. who spent the next 20 years researching amityville and debunking it one by one wow so he wrote a book called amityville conspiracy that was published in 1995 he sadly passed away like two months before the book was released where he outlines over a hundred inconsistencies and factual errors uh, and just general falsehoods in the amityville book 
Wow, dude, just smashed them, huh? Yeah, and quite a few of them were were pretty interesting. So one of my favorites was the book claimed the house was built on Native American land that they used to abandon. It's got to be, dude, of course. It's always got to be atop Native American burial grounds, dude. It's got to be. No, this one wasn't even Native American burial ground. It was a land the Native Americans used to abandon their mentally ill, was what they said in, in the Amityville book. Oh, my God, dude. That's insane. Just another classic example of blaming Native Americans for hauntings. Uh, they specifically said it was the Shinnecock tribe that would do this. And wow. it turns out the Shinnecock tribe uh, was never located in the Amityville area. When uh, they talked to the elders of the Shinnecock tribe, they were actually located about 70 miles away on the eastern tip of Long Island and were never residents of that area. Yeah, dude, of course. You know, they're yeah. just making stuff up. And another big piece was that in the book, they detail extensive damage to the home's doors and hardware because everything was like slamming shut and opening and stuff like that. And all this stuff was supposed to be like broken and in disarray. None of it was, was it? None of it was. It was all worn hardware, but none of it was broken. So it wasn't like it had been replaced recently. This is insane, dude. My favorite one. Okay, keep going. My favorite one, Priest Ralph, Chris. Remember him? Okay, yes. So he apparently, you know, according to the book, went into the house. He blessed it. You know, we just heard George Lutz say that he had gone to the house, blessed it, and was kind of creeped out and left. There were a lot of lawsuits that happened after this. Uh, The lawyer of the DeFeos sued the Lutzes because he said that they cut him out of a book deal that they had made up together. Uh, And under oath, the priest said that he had never actually stepped foot in the house. Wow. Why would the priest get in on this? I, I think he just wanted to be on TV. He got interviewed a lot for it. Right, dude. He just wanted it just just a little bit of vanity, dude. Just a little bit of vanity. But that's a sin, dude. That's a cardinal sin. Well, this in a giant be ashamed of themselves. A huge demonic haunting is like the Super Bowl for a priest, I feel like. Yeah. Especially like a small town priest. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine Amityville is not actually a big place. No, it's not. It's a very rich place, though. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hence the good deal on the house. Exactly. So we we know that, you know, DeFeo's lawyer uh, says that it was fake. We know mm-hmm. that we got a, a parapsychologist and vampirologist that says it was fake. But we have one more clip, Chris, of someone who says that this was all a hoax. When the vampirologist is debunking you, you got a big problem. <laughs> it's when you messed up. You got a big problem. Uh, Christopher Lutz, also known as Christopher Quarantino, who is the former stepson of George Lutz, has also come out saying the entire thing was made up. So Christopher was seven years old when they moved into this house. He was there the whole 28 days and left with his family. His mom later divorced George, but this is a clip of Christopher Lutz on an episode of Inside Edition back in 2004. We went back to the home with Christopher, and in an exclusive first-ever interview, he blasted what he sees as the untruths in the movie. The only thing that they got right is that our family moved in that house and we left. The movie details how chilling events occur for the house's new occupants, the Lutz family. And although Christopher claims most of what happens in this movie is fiction, he says one scene does bear some similarity to life in the Amityville house. He says he did see a shadowy presence. It looked as, you know, as large as a man and it was heading towards me. Were you scared living there? At times, for sure, yes, very. All right, so it could have been a little haunted and then they just blew it out of proportion and now I hate them. So, and, and here's what he says, expanding on this in a Seattle Times I can't article. believe you played a clip from Inside Edition, dude. It's the only audio I could find of, of him <laughs> that uh, I could pull. So, I was trying to get his voice. You might as well play an E-True Hollywood story, dude. That was supposed to be a joke. I was trying to get his voice. So, Seattle Times in 2005 published an article where they interviewed Christopher And what he says was that his stepfather brought the troubles on himself by dabbling in the occult and then amplified the incidents to make profit off of the books. He says he's a professional showman who he clashed with many times before he left the house at 16. Quote, I just feel as though we were being exploited. 
According to Quarantino, when the family moved into the house in 75, George Lutz was, quote, extremely curious of everything paranormal and tried to summon supernatural beings by chanting. I don't know that, I, that I'd call it black magic, but it was a way to call up spirit. Whoa, so this guy is already a weirdo. Yeah, so according to Chris, what had happened in the house, there was like a few spooky things. It was nothing different from any other haunted house story. It was like, I think I saw a shadowy figure or we mm-hmm. you know, heard some noises or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there was no terrorizing of the family. Right. Uh, there was no, no levitating. going down the walls. Yes. So right. it should have just been a, oh, this is a kind of spooky house. And they turned it into the Amityville horror. So the Warrens really are just absolutely full of doggy doo-doo. A hundred percent. Because the Warrens <sighs> were all in on this, saying how haunted it is. It's the most evil place they've ever walked into. And it was all nonsense. Gotta love it, dude. Just just swindler. Everyone is swindling each other, and they're all trying to make money off of it. Now, one more person that we need to hear from, Chris, uh, because in the movies especially, they make a lot of references to a demon possessing uh, Butch DeFeo and making him kill his family. Okay. And he actually wrote to a producer who wanted to interview with him about this. And uh, here's what he said. The only thing that's real were the murders. Yes, it's all a hoax. It's all about money. A cold-blooded murder, period. No ghosts, no demons. This ain't funny no more. People look in my eyes like I'm possessed or something. I'm sick of it. Well, there you go. So, uh, Butch DeFeo, everyone uh, apparently wasn't treating him nice in prison because they thought he was possessed by a demon because of the Amityville story. Oh, I'm sure he had no friends. But, I (laughs) mean, how many friends is the guy who murders his whole family in their sleep supposed to have? You know, I just feel like that doesn't get you a lot of street cred for killing children. Yeah, children. Well, dude, and you're all your own family. Yeah. Your own family, your brother and sister. That's insane, dude. That's absolutely insane. So I don't feel bad for him. Yeah. And the Amityville house has become so famous because of this, that the people of Amityville and the owners of the house have actually sued the Lutzes. And uh, I believe they also sued the book author of the Amityville horror uh, because of the negative attention that it brought. The Oh, dude, I'm sure there's so many people that come to this place trying to break onto the property or stay on the property or come into the come to the town and just you know just be hooligans right it got to the point where they actually changed the address of the house wow and if you look it up on zillow the house is entirely blurred out you can't even see it wow Mm -hmm. that's insane i didn't even realize you could do that i didn't either but apparently in situations like that uh google maps and zillow will blur the map out for you well, because the house really does have those uh, those famous windows, right? That that they always like make into eyes on the like the book jackets or film covers. So it, it used to; those have actually since been removed to try and right. reduce the amount of attention the house right. was getting. Nice, nice. So, My God, dude! Famous houses. You got to watch out for them. Well, that is the story of the Amityville Horror House, Chris. On a scale of uh, one to five uh, globs of green slime coming up the stairs at you, what do you give this story? Oh, dude, it has so many things I hate. So, I mean, I'm only going to give it like a one. I think this may be the lowest rated I've ever given uh, any of our stories, but it's because, dude, I hate the Warrens. I hate swindlers i hate people who make up crazy stories because it uh, again like i said the the insane stuff hurts our cause why why couldn't i just hear the story about you know seeing weird shadows or hearing strange noises or or these things on the edges of our periphery right Instead, it has to be this, like, insane Hollywood TV story of people floating and blood coming down walls and, you know, doors slamming shut, people's hands going flat. You know, wow, my wife just turned like she was 95. This is crazy. Like, just, just give us the simple, easy stuff that we can't explain and not the over the top crap, dude. 
And so I hate that stuff, man. And so like one, no more Amityville horror. Amityville horror's dead. Ryan Reynolds is still handsome though. <laughs> Very true. I I agree with you, man. I'm gonna give it a one. George Lutz was definitely a con man. There con may man, have been dude. Yeah, there may have been like a spooky thing or two to happen at the house, but it was nothing like what was written and nothing like what's in the movies. Even outside of the like inspired by true events, it's just nonsense. And uh, leave the Native Americans alone. Yeah, leave them out of this, man. Leave them out of it, dude. They've no gone more. through enough. Stop blaming everything on them. It's not, it's not, we're not doing the burial grounds anymore. Americans have been in some parts of America now for four or 500 years. Like, let's just do that. Let's and, do bad American burial ground. Now, here's something I do like, though, is Stephen Kaplan, the man who debunks this entire thing and wrote a whole book about it. I think he is a great example of one of the many believers that hate the scammers and will right. dedicate their life to proving them wrong. Right. Right. And we need them, dude. We need them. They're, we're we're going to do a story about the Philadelphia experiment soon. That was also a, a listener request. And that also has an example of, of someone who, you know, is is um, a, tr a true believer who has to go in and, uh, you know, prove some things false that someone says. And I just really respect that, man. I really do respect that. Who watches The Watchmen, Paul? Apparently, Stephen Kaplan and other parapsychologists. Well, now we are, too. That's true. That's true. We're, we're a part. We're we're a part of The Watchmen crew. I'm probably more of the comedian and you're probably more night owl. That's fair. That's definitely fair. I feel like I got <laughs> night owl vibes. That was off the top of my head too, dude. I it probably was... have a, I probably have a little Rorschach in me though, too. Yeah. No, I think, I think the comedian has enough Rorschach in him already. Yeah. True. I think I definitely am the night owl though. I need to get more conservative is the only thing to be truly be the comedian. Well, but yeah, you're yeah. just a hundred percent night owl. Yeah, I'm just the nerd behind his computer. It's fine. All right, end this now. Hurry before we dive even deeper into Watchmen lore. <laughs> this has been Coast to Coast PM. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more next week. We'll see you soon. All conspiracy, all the time. Later. <laughs>